One. Hello, and welcome to True Crime Podcast. Today's podcast is sponsored by Intuity Psychics. Find clarity, find answers. Answers to your questions. Intuity Psychics, www.intuitypsychics.com. That's www.intuitypsychics.com. Let me read a disclosure for everybody. True Crime Podcast are real cases involving real people have been murdered or are missing. Families looking for answers, law enforcement agencies who have no more clues or leads on their pursuit for justice. This podcast can be graphic and may be disturbing to some. Listeners who listen to this podcast do so at their own discretion. Welcome, Stacy Fowler. How are you? Hey, Troy. It's great to see you. I love the hat. Thank you. It's my uh, investigation intuitive hat. <laughs> I got mine on, too. This is my Magnum one today right. in honor of Magnum. So uh, my crime solving hat. So oh, so you're yeah. watching Magnum PI? <laughs> I did today. Always solving crimes, you know. And uh, and I'm so excited to to have our first podcast of True Crime Psychic and, and be with you, uh, Troy Griffin, my favorite intuitive medium and psychic detective. No, well, thank you, thank you. And for those of you, we call Stacy Coach Stacy, and she's our coach in crime, uh, true crime enthusiast or junkie. <laughs> Um, so Stacey will be joining us on our podcast, and uh, we'll jump right into today's podcast. Are you ready? I think so, but uh, tell me a little bit about yourself, how you got involved with being an uh, intuitive medium and a psychic detective. Oh, those tough questions. So if I answer that question, you'll answer my question about you? Uh, I'll try my best. <laughs> Perfect. So I got into um, cold case investigations by meeting somebody in a gift shop. Uh, 15 years ago, he was working on a missing persons case out of the Bronx Police Department. And um, as you know the story, I've never told anybody that I was a psychic until I was 40. And so I um, was at a friend's gift shop getting a card from my wife. She introduced me to a friend of hers who was an intuitive working on a missing persons for the Bronx Police Department. And I knew that uh, this person wasn't missing and I knew she was murdered and how she was murdered and some details about the murder and, and general location of the body. And so when that came out to be pretty, pretty can't speak pretty accurate, uh, she had told the Bronx Police Department uh, that somebody else gave her this information. They wanted to know who I was. And that pretty much started my career. And so um, over the past 15 years, I've worked on 600, a little over 600 cold cases around the world. So let's talk about you. I don't know. You're so exciting. I just, I love it when I'm around you hearing all your stories and, and watching you work and seeing you in action. It's just been, it's just been something to see throughout the years. All right. Well, don't make me blush. Let's talk about who you are <laughs> and, and how you get involved in true crimes. How'd you get started? Well, you know, I think, you know, I, I, aren't we, don't we all have an inner detective in us? You know, we're all kind of armchair detectives. Um, you know, I know you and I met when we were doing uh, haunted hayrides together and, uh, you know, doing some of those, uh, you know, fun things at, at Halloween. But I mean, things happen all year round, not just uh, at Halloween. So I've really enjoyed, uh, you know, I enjoy sitting back and watching these TV shows that we've all watched uh, throughout the years from Magnum P.I. to the Hallmark movies. Um, you know, and, and, and storyboarding things in my head about helping them solve the crimes as we go along. You're killing me with your Magnum P.I. You know, that's a scripted <laughs> show, right? 
Yeah, uh, you know, it's it's much easier to do crime shows when you're watching them on TV and doing them from the comfort of your easy chair and, and helping detectives solve them along the way. So how many crime shows have you seen on Hallmark? Well, I think that this is only an hour podcast, so I better not list all those because I could just go on and on. I mean, you know, watching those um, in between my walks. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And you, what's your favorite one? Uh, favorite what? Favorite crime show. Which one? Which ones do you like? I I don't watch crime shows. Um, mm. Yeah, you know the problem I have with crime shows is that when I watch them within the first five ten minutes, I can tell you what happened, who done it, how it's going to end. So I used to watch these shows with my wife, and I would just blurt it out, and then she was upset because I gave her, you know, how it was going to work out, and I think I just wasted an hour of my time. So I really don't watch the shows. Um, I don't get to watch a whole lot of TV, so uh, when I do watch TV, it's pretty much things I don't have to think about. Um, okay, I, I, I do the same thing with Joe. He gets mad because I always blurt it out, and he goes, how do you always know that? Yeah. And I don't know, I guess like Troy, I just see things sometimes that, that they don't see. We're but um, anyway, you know, let's talk about crime, um, specifically true crime. I know, um, tell me about that case you've been working on since 2017. All right. In case of 26-year-old Joey Labute out of Columbus, Ohio. Sure. I'm going to tell you a little bit about Joey. So Joey Labute is a case that I got involved with in 2017, and Joey was a 26-year-old male. Nice-looking guy out of Columbus, Ohio. Healthy young man. Um, he went missing from a bar in what they call the Short North District of Columbus. Now, Joey's the type of guy that really would rather stay at home and watch Game of Thrones um, pretty much a homebody himself, but uh, his cousin and her husband invited him out to a place called the Short North area of town at the Union Cafe. And so Joey grabbed some pizza with some friends after work that night, and then he made it to the Union Cafe about nine o'clock. So the cafe is always packed. And let me set up a little bit about what the cafe looks like. So you got your, your hat on, your visual hat on? I got it on. I got my, my visual hat on. Ready to go. All right. So the Short North Cafe is um, you walk into a dim light bar, like most bars. It has dark interior, neon lights um, on the bar top. It just rows a TV. And all the TVs are doing is playing music videos. People are dancing and drinking. It's very loud and hard to hear conversations, um, unless you're tucked away in a corner. So the bar is the bar on one side, and on the other side is a restaurant. It's kind of a bar-restaurant combo. And so um, it's just very loud, a lot of people. So the night Joey went missing, um, there was a um, festival going on, and it's called the Arnold Classic. And so that was going on the night that Joey went missing. And this was back on March 4th of 2016. Now, the footage shows Joey leaving the bar a little after midnight. And I'll tell you a little story before he left. But then Joey showed up deceased in the river. Um, I think it was about three weeks later. And so that's our story on Joey. Now, to get into a little bit more detail about Joey. Um, so about 1130 at night, Joey was there with his cousin Stacy and her husband Kyle. And about 1130 that night, um, Joey went and got some cranberry uh, vodka or cranberry vodka, cranberry, something drinks for him and his cousin Stacy. And so he brought the drinks back about 1130. 
Um, they had the drinks and Joey, you know, knew people there. So he was dancing and socializing and having fun. And Joey's ex-boyfriend, which we'll talk about in a minute, was there. So about midnight, Stacy started to get sick, feel sick. And Joey said he had to go to the bathroom. So Joey went to the bathroom and Stacy tried to text him to say, hey, Joey, I'm going home because I'm sick. Um, so they text uh, Joey and they text Joey and there was no reply. So Stacy and her husband Kyle went home. So again, right after midnight, they left. Joey was seen leaving the bar right after midnight and then he just vanishes. And so just completely gone. That's where the case began. So going forward is that, so about three weeks, I think it was about three weeks, March 24th, I think it was, or 26th, um, Joey's body showed up in the river, in the Scioto River, um, because he got stuck on one of the docks. His body got stuck on one of the docks. And so that's where they found him. And, um, and that's when the investigation started. You know, one of the things you, you said in, in being in the fitness business, the Arnold Classic Sports Festival, I mean, you know, huge event. Of course, you know, I've wanted to go to that for a long time. And, but I, I, I just wonder, what did you think the Arnold Sports Festival was? When, what did you think it was? You're going to put me on the spot here? I am. I am. So when I went the next year, so I got involved in Joey's case a year later, and I went out to Columbus uh, for his one-year anniversary, which was a balloon launch that they were going to do in the park um, in a joint um, event with Bravo, which is um, a uh, LGBTQ organization. And so um, when I got into the city, the event was going on, and I had a vision of who I was looking for my suspects. So a um, little bit how I get, when I get involved in investigations is I have to look at um, the victim, and I have to see if I can connect through the victim's eyes. And so with Joey, um, I did connect through Joey's eyes. And with that, um, I went to Columbus and I had a vision of what I was looking for in my suspect. And um, so it was kind of a snap cap that I was looking for. And so when I got what out- that, What does that mean? Wait, wait, what does snap cap mean? Think about, um, think about um, like golfers wear those caps, like Arnold, I would believe Arnold, Arnold Palmer used to wear one where they snap in the front and they have a oh, little yeah, yeah, yeah. brim. Um, gotcha. So that was um, what I started with and that was in my mind. And uh, let me put up a picture of Joey, um, if I can do this. And then you, everyone can see Joey. Okay, so let's put up Joey. Very uh, handsome fellow. Little blurry, but that's Joey. So anyways, I, um, I'm at this event and I have this guy that I know I'm looking for. I know his characteristics, his features, and then I have the snap cap. So I'm at this event and um, this gentleman walked up to the left of me and introduced himself and had a cap on that reminded me of a snap cap. Then about 10, 15 seconds later, the detective on Joey's case walked up to the right side and he wanted to speak to me. So I went with the detective. Great hair, huh? So I went with the detective and I told the detective, I said, I have an idea what I'm looking for. And I think the guy uh, wears a snap cap, which would go with the Arnold Classic here, the golf tournament you guys are having. And the detective looked at me like I was crazy. And he said, 
the golf tournament? And I said, yeah, you're on all classics here. And he goes, that's a fitness event. Oops. Oops. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, so, you know, that's how it started off is me, you know, playing the dumb card. I didn't, I honestly didn't know. And so that's how it started there. So it was well, a, well, there you go. Well, I Arnold know. does a lot of a lot of different things, um, and you know that that I don't know if there's any tie-in. You know, the sports festival. I know it draws internationally. It's a three-day event. Did you feel like there was any ties between that and, and Joey's disappearance? You know, I actually did not, and that was the the strange thing about this. I didn't feel like um, I didn't feel like there was a tie together. Um, is yeah, I didn't feel that at all. So. Um, I just knew what I was looking for, so I was focused on that person, and um, and that person actually found me. And gotcha. So that's, gotcha. So that's how I got involved um, with Joey's investigation, and actually how I got started is wasn't sure if it was his aunts or who contacts me if I would look into the case. Um, so I pretty much work on referral basis or an ask basis only. Um, so. They, I think they asked me about um, looking into this case. And, you know, when you saw the picture of Joey, you know, when you look at his eyes, I can put that picture back up there, but Joey shouldn't have died. No, he's very, very handsome. Take him way too soon. Did you, uh, you've been in the Union Cafe. Yes. Did you, as well, did you, when you were inside there, did you have any feelings about the Union Cafe when you were in there? Um, you know, I didn't really pick up so much on the Union Cafe because I already knew he was there. So, you know, what I do when I investigate is I, um, what I'll do is I'll look and connect through the victim's eyes. So I do what we call remote viewing, where I see pictures, places, things, um, you know, landscapes, things like that. So when I got there, um, I flew in the night before the event and his aunt and uncle picked me up straight away and wanted to show me a few things. So that first night I got there, we went to the park where Joey walked into the park or across the park to get to the cafe. And then we walked over to the cafe. Um, and when I got to the cafe, my intuition led me down the aisle next to the cafe on the left side of the cafe. And I had to walk down because I had a vision of like these, um, let's, let's think about Williamsburg, the older days where the houses were like two stories and all brick and they had little balconies on the front, does that make sense? Yes, yes. So colonial style, I guess, is what I want to say. So I had a vision of this colonial style. So when I walked up the alley, that colonial style was on the, my right side, and there was a park directly to the left of me. And so I went into the park, um, and I sat down, and I know Joe, Joey was in that park at one time, and I know he was sick in that park. So... Um, part of the reason that I also went up the alley is because when I do investigations on site, I get a lot of media following me. So um, I think it was Fox News and like their ABC news station and some other news station was there following me. So the press gets notice I'm coming out. So I by as Joey's aunts were talking to the media, I bypassed and beelined down the alley. So then Joey's uncle came to find me. And um, when I get into places that I think evil was, um, I have a hard time breathing and it makes me sick. So I was there and yeah, I was ready to get sick. And so his uncle came up and I told him what was going on and then we left and then walked back down to the cafe. Um, so I really have to let my intuition guide me. Now, 
when we walk back down to the cafe, um, Joey's ex-boyfriend, um, who was his classmate from elementary school named Justin, works at the bar. And I knew they weren't on speaking terms when this happened. So before I left, I tried to communicate with Justin to see if I could speak with him while I was there. And he would not reply to my messages or my phone calls. So the interesting thing is as I came down the alley, um, Justin was outside the back door with some other guys, two other guys. And um, Joey's aunts, which we'll talk about in a minute, one of his aunts, um, brought me over and introduced me to Justin. And the only thing that Justin said to me at that time was, I'm the one you've been trying to contact and I have been ignoring you. Maybe I'll tell you what I know sometime in private. And then he split right back into the bar. Hmm. And, um, you know, that was kind of weird. And I understand why he said in private because all the news cameras are around. Um, and of course he doesn't want to talk in front of the news cameras. So I got that part. I was perfectly fine with that. And so that's really, um, then I went into the cafe with aunts and uncle and we sat in the corner where Joey was. And, you know, it's for me, when I go into places and they're busy and they're crowded and they're loud, there's so much energy that it's really hard for me to focus. So in that particular night, it wasn't a lot of focusing because there's too many distractions. So we just had dinner there. Um, and then we, um, walked around the block because his aunt wanted to show me a couple things and a couple houses that they have of interest. And that was about it for the first night. Um, I get back to the hotel room about 10 o'clock um, Columbus time, which is a couple of hours ahead of us. So I, I stayed up and worked on my laptop and about 10.30 our time, which is what 12.30, 1.30 their time. Um, I get a message on Facebook asking me if I was going to be at Joey's event tomorrow. And I said, yes. And this person that reached out to me actually is my suspect at this point. And he said he didn't know anything about the event. And uh, well, I'm thinking, well, if you don't know anything about the event, you wanna be texting me. And why are you texting me to see if I'm working on this case? So obviously he knew. And so I said, yes. And then it, the next morning, excuse me here, so the next morning, I took some information that's been given to me. There was another psychic in Columbus who said um, that she had visions of where Joey was kept. And, um, and that was in a meat blocker. <laughs> and so, I, uh, so that morning before the event, and I have to laugh at this because it, you know how many times people tell me they're psychic. So anyways, um, I took the information that actually the, the ants gave me and I went and drove to this meat locker. And, you know, I'm thinking that I'm going to go to this very small warehouse where maybe they, I don't know, right? You don't know what's meat locker. I don't know. So um, I drive out to this meat locker and there must have been 40 dock doors with semi trucks backed up to it. And, uh, <laughs> You know, what's the first thing you would think? You're coming to a big manufacturing plant with, you know, semi-trucks. I don't really think Joey's body's in a meat locker. Um, what did you, you know, backing up, there was something that you had said about the Union Cafe, you, you know, that, that um, Stacy and Kyle were having drinks with them. 
And one of the things that piqued my interest, you know, as you were walking around outside, it said that they started to uh, text Joey because he had left a few minutes earlier to go to the bathroom. So in between the time he was at that table and the time he went to the bathroom, you know, I feel like something transpired during that time. Did you go back towards the bathroom area as well? I I did. And, um, you know, as we go into the podcast, like next week, we'll talk to Joey's aunts and his stepmom. But, you know, I did walk this stuff, but again, it's so crowded. And, and yeah. you, you people know this, when you walk into the bar and there's music TVs all over the place, they're so distracting. And I've got the dim neon lights and then the flashing dance floor. I mean, everything you can think about, about the 70s, yeah. um, 80s disco genre, that's the dance floor. Um, and so this very... Um, distracting so I didn't get a whole lot there at that particular time so once once you uh, you know looked into his eyes and you started uh walking outside and had those feelings when, where did you start your investigation then and how did that proceed how did you proceed from there well I started the investigation that afternoon prior into going into the bar where I went up the alley and so what happened is Joey's aunt actually uh parked in a grocery store that we'll talk later in our future podcast and why that's a re- why that's relevant. And so we parked there and we walked into this park called Good Old Park. And what it was is Joey used to live in these apartments um, down the street from the park and he used to cut across the park to get to the Union Cafe. So we walked to the park. We pretty much did the same track that Joey used to do to go to the cafe. And okay. so they took me there and that's where it actually started is that we did start and getting information coming through when we got to the park. Over to the and, so, and that's where he used to live with Justin. Is that right? Mm-hmm. So him and Justin okay. shared an apartment down the street from the park and they were on the outs. Um, and so Joey moved to another apartment. Um, and of course, Justin moved out. So they weren't on speaking terms at that time so but we don't know why we don't know why they we don't know the real reason why they weren't on speaking terms i guess no um and that's the mystery so you know we walked through the park um we walked to the cafe and then we actually um walked to where joey used to live and i went to the apartment he used to live at and um i couldn't get into apartment of course because somebody else lives there but it was just kind of one of those eerie feelings that wasn't good. So, you know, as I see pictures, places, and things, I can see some serious arguments between him and Justin. And, and here's the difference. Joey's a very shy guy that would rather stay home um, and be a hermit. And Justin is more of the flamboyant. He was out there and, you know, just free. So they're complete opposites. And opposites attract. Right. And he was a bartender that night too, as well. So it leads to the, you know, how many drinks did he see he had? Did he notice anything else? I mean, bartenders are, let's face it. I mean, they know everything. It's like your hairdresser. They, they see a lot. So, you know, that would be interesting to know what else we don't know that went on that night, how many drinks he had. Well, and that's the thing. So Justin isn't speaking. um, And we'll go later into the police departments in our next podcast with his aunts, but Justin wasn't speaking. So what I did after the union cafe, um, the aunts and uncle 
went back to go home and I stayed at the noon cafe. And I was there, like I said, I got back to the hotel room after midnight their time, so 10 o'clock our time, but I stayed at the Union Cafe to see if I could talk to Justin, since he said he might tell me in private. Justin knew I was there, and I hung around for about 30 minutes, but he would not acknowledge me. And so that is just a question that, um, was there involvement with him? And the reason we have to add him as a suspect is because in any case like this, um, in murder cases, we always look at family and friends first. Um, right, right. Now, did they, what I, was his shift of, what was his shift that night? Do we know what his shift was? Like when was he working? When was he off? Who was that? The night I was there or the night Joey was there? No, uh, Justin's shift, what was his hours that night? Do we know when he got off the night that Joey disappeared? No, we do know that he was there the night Joey disappeared, yes. Okay. Uh, so, so the odd thing about that was, is that, um, and again, I'm not saying Joey or Justin was involved, but he's very quiet on the whole thing. Now, we have to include him, and the thing is, I don't think Justin did the actual murder. Do I think there could have been some involvement prior? Yes. Um, and again, because he was a bartender, did something go into the drink? I don't know. Um, and we'll talk about that. But the thing about Justin was, um, call it coincidental, but Joey had named Justin his life insurance beneficiary. Wow. And his POD upon death just That's a couple months prior. And then they, I guess they had this big fallout. So even though Justin, you know, probably has been cleared, you know, we had to look into that because of those things. But Justin is not speaking. And to this day, Justin won't speak. Wow. That is, that's, that's a huge news flash on that one right there. Mm -hmm. um, now, there was also, um, when they found his body, they didn't find any physical trauma on him, right? No. When they pulled his body out. Mm -hmm. So what is the theory then? What, what, I mean, what does they think happened? So the theory um, at this particular point is that we think Joey was given a drug, which is coming back very popular or is back is called GHB. And GHB is an old date rape drug. And what GHB does for the human body is that it takes away all inhibitions um, and pretty much everything. So you're completely free with no inhibitions. So we believe Joey was given GHB at the bar. Now, we think that that GHB is probably what got Stacy sick. Because again, Stacy got sick, Joey went missing and went to the bathroom. We don't know if he went to the bathroom to get sick. Um, we don't know what he did in the bathroom. So GHB has a shelf life in the human body, which means it lasts in the body for about eight hours. Yeah. So as Joey left the bar, the question is, did somebody slip something into his drink is one of the questions and, um, and why? So, so that's interesting. So I, you know, you read about Stacy getting sick, but it could have been putting her drink as well because he brought both the drinks back. But Kyle was there, but he didn't bring a drink back for Kyle. So evidently Kyle did not get sick. Correct. So that's, that's interesting. So Correct. she could have had GCB too, but we'll never know. 
No, and again, because it's an eight hour shelf life and at that point, Joey was missing. So there was no reason to really, you know, the police looked into Stacy and Kyle and everybody else, but Stacy went home sick, just thinking it was just, she was sick. Yeah, so yeah. Home, so she went home that way. And, and yeah. she didn't hear from him for, how long she didn't hear from him? Was it the next day or when did she start worrying? When she started the text him that night, he never returned the text and, the, and she'd never heard from him again. Okay, so, okay. So again, what's interesting about this case is that when I met with the detective, the detective did let me know where they think Joey was put in the river at. Because again, Joey floated downstream and got caught on a little um, launch box. You know, it's more, it's not where you launch a boat, but it's more of a dock where you could go out and throw your fishing pole. Gotcha. Probably 10 by 12 type thing in the river. And so the detective had told me where they think um, Joey's body was put into the river. So what's interesting about this case, and here's the drum roll, is that I went to that the, the place with Joey's aunts, and that's Wendy and Holly and Phil, his uncle. And we stopped and got somebody to eat at Wendy's. Um, and nobody knew where I was going because what happened is, not even my suspect knew where I was going because what happened is, we stayed at the, um, at the park cleaning up and people were coming after me and all the media and you have to go through all that stuff. So we were probably there for about 45 minutes. And um, we didn't park close to the, to the cafe, so we had to go back through the park, back into, so nobody really knew where we were going. So we weren't followed. But we drove up to where the police think Joey's body was put into the river and um, checked, you know, went and looked at it. I went down and I walked this, the, you know, the river and, and everything else. So let's go more into my suspect because here's where the interesting part comes into since we're talking true crime. So again, um, Joey was murdered. I'm plain and simple. We'll talk about the autopsy in a minute. But my person of interest who I didn't have time to talk to um, so the next day I went to the meat locker. Like I said, I just had a laugh. I went to where they found Joey's body, picked up what I got there. And then I went to the balloon launch and stayed there. And then we went up to the River West. And then um, I stayed there that night, again, um, trying to talk to Justin. And then I left the next morning. But um, what happened was, is my suspect then called me up about three or four days later and introduced himself again, told me what his name was. And he said, we didn't have time to talk at the park because the detective wanted to speak to you. And I said, yes. And so in my conversation, I always say, well, what do you do for a living? And my suspect told me he has a degree in chemistry, but he's a skin wound nurse. So he works on skin wounds. So great. So after some minor chit chat, and really what the chit chat is, is that this person wanted to know if I had a copy of Joey's autopsy report, if I had a toxicology report. And what was ironic about that and funny, my sister and I, my sister and I had a laugh about it after the conversation, is I actually had those reports, just got them in the mail, and actually had them on my desk when this guy was asking me if I have the reports, which the answer is no, never see them, don't get them, um, as they're right here on my desk. But anyways, make a long story short, he was after the autopsy report and the toxicology report, which he couldn't get. So um, in the end of my conversation, I said to him, I said, well, you know, detective, 
and I think that Joey was given GHB and his comments to me were, I don't know what the chemical breakdown of GHB is. Well, he's, he's yeah. You told me you were a chemist and, and you're a nurse. Yep. And, um, but the other thing that this guy didn't know is this guy didn't know that I already background checked him. Well, does he have any idea that you suspect him at all to this day? Let me say yes and no. Okay. I'm going to leave it at that. That's intriguing. So yes and no. Yep. So I'll leave it at that for now. Um, All right. um, So yeah, so I thought that was quite interesting. So then um, about a week and a half went by, maybe two weeks. And I'm just going about my business. Mm-mm-mm. But anyways, I, you know, so I background checked the guy and um, calls me up and we talk a little bit more. And I said, hey, can you tell me about the neighborhood? Do you know anything about the neighborhood? Because when I was there, the thing about this short north is it's like down the street, I would say a half mile or something. It's more a college area of the street. And then it goes into this like um, eclectic, it was like gypsy. Um, what do I want to say, Indian, India type neighborhood. And then it goes into the gay part of town. And so I had background check this guy and know that he lived about three blocks up the street from the bar for three years and a couple blocks over for a couple more. So my conversation with him, I said, hey, I'm trying to figure out the neighborhood because of this, this, and this. Um, do you know anything about the neighborhood? And he said, no, I don't know anything about the neighborhood. You know, so on my side, I'm thinking, dude, I've already background checked you. <laughs> you know so then I said well have you visited this cafe before How, have you been to the union he said I think I've been there a couple times but that's about it hmm. well that's not checking off to you know you live three blocks up the street you know hello yeah. um single live three blocks up three. anyways can I get a date if you wanted to so um in the second conversation he said to me he goes I have to tell you that I'm a psychic too you know me, here we go again, right? Somebody else tell me they're a psychic. Everybody's a psychic. Everybody's a psychic and they want to tell me their story. So he said, I had a dream and I think I know where they put Joey into the river. Hmm, that's interesting. I said, I haven't heard anything. I have no idea. So what do you have? And he um, was very detailed and he nailed the location that the police think Joey's put into the river. You know, the detail. Then they go one step further. He says to me, I think I know how fast the currents were running that night or that day. Well, that's odd. That's very I mean, how odd. Would he, how would he know that? You know? Well, supposedly he's a psychic. But so the thing that happens with people like that, and we're going to go more because, you know, in, in the next podcast, we'll talk about serial killers and if Joey's tied to a serial killer case. So what happens when you get people like this is that what they're trying to do is stay one step above the law. So they'll go back to the scene of the crime or they'll request um, autopsies, toxicology, um, to see what the police are working on because it makes them feel powerful that they're one step above the police. And they want to get your attention. So in this particular case, the police is not responding and he's trying to get the information from me. Well, you know, this isn't my first rodeo, um, which, which we all know. And so 
you know, as he's trying to get autopsy information, toxicology from me, I'm getting information out of him. So here's the thing is some of these killers are smart, but um, they don't pay attention because they want that fame. They want that people not to know them, but know what they've done. And that's the, that's in this particular case. Well, that's interesting. Let's talk about the, uh, the character, character Eric Reiner. Um, that he had, Joey had a relationship with. Did you visit with him, see him, talk to him? Now, Reiner, um, I did speak to him. And um, he is somebody that I actually have crossed off my list. Um, it was somebody that Joey did date for a while, um, but he didn't really fit what I was looking for. And our conversations with him is, um, a number one, he wasn't there that night, and he has an alibi to back that up. Mm-hmm. And so he really wasn't um, of interest to me. Now, I, I saw also I read that there were apps, Grinder, Tinder, mm-hmm. um, that I guess they feel like Joey could have been using those apps. Is there any way? Was there any tracking to see who was contacted, or are are they able to figure that out with those apps and going back? No. Um, and so we believe he was on those apps, um, but it was never proven. And um, there was something about Joey's computer or higher drive that um, it was pretty much swiped clean. Um, it was swiped. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So and, I, you know, and it goes... Yeah, uh, you know, and it, it just also struck me as when you were talking about the GCB uh, that he he and Stacy may have come across at the bar. I mean, it was a cold night. Why would he leave the bar without a jacket on such a cold night? So it leads to the question, why did he leave the bar that night? And uh, why didn't he tell anyone? Sure, and that's the questions. And what's interesting is, first of all, I love how you say GCB. <laughs> it's GHB. GHB. But- yeah, we'll go with Juice TV. <laughs> well, you know, one of the G's. <laughs> well, and that's the question. Why did Joey leave the bar and what proposition was made to him? Right. And that's a question that we honestly don't know. Um, and, and that's a tough question. So um, this is what we've been on the pursuit to find out. So... The case is still open because cold cases, murder cases never close because murder is um, a case that's open until it's solved. Um, So it could be solved 50 years from now. So it's a never closed case. Um, You know, I have followed a potential suspect and, um, and have just gone from there. So, you know, I've stayed in touch with Joey's aunts. Um, They're amazing people. His, his mother, stepmother is amazing too. Um, so we stay in touch and we'll always stay in touch and we'll have them on to our next show where you can ask them questions and we'll ask them questions. And uh, we'll talk a little bit more about, um, what I know on Joey's case, um, and some of the places that Joey's aunt Julie took me to, um, where we have a house of interest and the research on that one, um, and people of interest also. You know, the thing about in these murder cases um, is that when a murder case breaks, 
and somebody sets up a Facebook page, which I'll tell you which Facebook page Joey said, you know, you get everybody and their brother that wants to give their input. And so when people know I'm working on a case, I get the hundreds and hundreds of emails and I should do this and I should do that. And I'm, you know, I'm a loser, you know, what's this, whatever, whatever. So it's really hard for Joey's family or anybody that has a murder because of this. And that's the hardest part for me. So when I get involved in cases, I'm actually doing it for Joey because, you know, I do have a connection with Joey, but I'm also doing it for his family because his family, you know, I really don't get involved in my cases as much as I have done with Joey, which you know, but, you know, Joey shouldn't have died and his aunts touched my heart. Uh, yeah, they seem like quite lovely, lovely people and uh, all you've told me about them. So I look forward to hearing from them next week on this. And uh, it seems like there was a, you know, I know our, our police departments and all that work hard, but things get dropped through the cracks. And, you know, this seems like one of the times where there's some things that might have fallen through the cracks in some of the investigations. And that happens a lot in investigations. And what people don't realize is that a lot of police departments don't have the resources. And so, right. you know, as we go into podcast number two and talk about this a little more, we're going to talk about other boys that could be victims of the same person. But what happens is a lot of times, people don't know this, and we'll talk about it a lot on this podcast, is coroners don't have to be medical doctors. So coroners, there's some coroners that you can read about that were old detectives appointed as a medical coroner. So a lot of times, thorough autopsies aren't done. Now, in, in these other cases, we run into problems, or other murder cases, we run into problems where a coroner doesn't have to do the why or do the full inspection, but can say, oh, it was a drowning accidental, and then the case is closed. So as we talk about these other boys, what's going to be interesting is we'll talk about one autopsy where the section of the lung was dissected and there was no report of water in the lung, but they're classifying it as an accidental drowning. But in Joey's case, we were very fortunate, very fortunate that the coroner listed case caused the death as undetermined. And so that leaves it open for a murder case. Yeah, I was just looking at that. Um... So that's just, just, that's just interesting. So there's, there's so many things that go into it and, you know, how you go about solving this crime. And um, what, what is it that you, when you connect yourself to this, you said you go through the eyes. Um, how, do you, how do things come to you? So, I see, so what happens to me is I see pictures, places, and things. So let me give you an example. Is, you know, when I look through Joey's eyes, I see, you know, the park, I see buildings, um, I see details in the park. Um, so I pick up little details. And so when I start a case, even with Joey's case, um, once I connect with him and have this scenery in my mind, I'll go to Google Maps to the last known location and I'll Google map it and then I'll pull up a satellite image. And then I'll see, look on the satellite if I see what's in my visions. And so that okay. gives me the direction. So, you know, I see on some cases um, where it's almost like I live the, the act of the crime. So I see the act of the crime, what the person went through. Now, in Joey's case, I didn't actually see the act of the crime. 
but the reason Aunt took me by a house is because I have a room in a house and Joey in a chair and the floors wood floors, older house, older wood floors and um, like a drape over the window. Um, and Joey didn't have any clothes. So I think that it's more of a um, necrophilia situation. And so, you know, all right, explain that, explain that. Necrophilia is where um, sex is done on a dead body. Oh. People that have sex on dead bodies. And we call that necrophilia, which is totally disgusting. I mean, that's, 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 now that's over my head, but it happens. It's part of real life. And so I had all that in my vision and, um, you know, the park I went to, we went to a gazebo and I had my suspect with the snap hat. I had a gazebo, which was in the park. Um, things along those lines. As we talk about the other cases that may be tied to Joey's, I'll go into details about what I saw there, both on film and what comes to me. So that's how I started cases. I really look at what happened to them and sometimes I can feel it. And then what do I see through their eyes? And that's how they work on the cases. And so we call well, that I, remote I, viewing. Yeah. We remote view. You call it what? Remote viewing. Remote viewing. I, I love that explanation. I, I mean, I think you, I mean, all these years I've known you, it just is, you know, these questions that, you know, like I know you always tell me picture places and things, but the way you just explained it, you just tied it up really nice that, that I can understand that when you look in the eyes. Now, my question too is, because I know as a psychic, when you say you look at people's eyes, is it, is it all people, when you see psychic stuff, you see it in their eyes, or is it just when people, when, you know, people that are deceased? Or is it, do you see it in their eyes live too as so, well? Are you asking me if I read you? Well, I, not me, particularly, <laughs> you know, but when you read people, is it the eyes that you're looking at? No. So, um, so here's the thing. The answer is no, because I'm not trying to connect you on that level. So when okay. I read you, um, let, most of my readings, which you know, are what we call mediumship readings, which means I connect with people that have crossed over. So right. I'm connecting with the person that crossed over pretty much through their eyes, not yours. When we come in the human person like you and I and our, and our listeners, I don't have a right to read you. That is your personal space. And so I don't read people um, unless they ask me. So no, I can look at your eyes like I can now. And, you know, there's, it, it's just, um, I guess, my boundaries. Um, but when I look at people that crossed over, especially specializing in murder, I need them to show me what's around okay. so that I can trace that out. Well, I've seen you in action many times and you're amazing. But, you know, it's always just understanding that, you know, having you tie it up and put it in a package so we understand, you know, how you're getting there. Because I'm always just amazed. <laughs> And watching right. you um, and, and doing all this, so you know this is a this Joey's case is you know it is it's it's an interesting one, and I look forward to um, you know hearing from his aunts. Um, you know I look forward to seeing how it ties maybe into some of the other cases you have up and coming. I mean, there's so many crimes crimes going on, and and, yeah. and they happen every day, and people are you know I mean the, we're like the ones helping the police department out and trying to uh, get some of these clues going as well. Right. So with Joey's case, you know, we'll talk to his aunts and stuff, but we are going to talk about serial killer. So over the past few weeks, or next few weeks, not the past, but over the next few weeks, 
we are going to talk about serial killer and if Joey's part of a serial killer case. And so what do you think? Well, you know me, because we've talked about this, that I do think he's part of a serial killer case. And I think that my case leads us to Pittsburgh. I think it leads mm. us to Denver. Mm. And, um, and so we talk a lot when people talk about serial killer cases, and they're trying to do this with Joey's case, is that there's been conversation about was this part of the Smiley case killer? Are you familiar with that case? Yes, and, and I, I have seen that, but I know there could be copycats as well too, but do you feel like, was there any smiley faces around when they found Joey? So here's the thing about that. So yes, most serial killers are copycats. Now let's talk about the smiley face killer who came out in the 70s through the 80s. Um, smiley face killer was somebody that killed people but would leave a smiley face somewhere by the crime scene. So that's how they got the name smiley face killer. So in Joey's particular case, there wasn't a smiley face by the crime scene, but there's a smiley face up under one of the, the overpasses. Mm. So people are trying to connect this to the smiley case killer because there's this smiley face way up here. So a lot of things that I've been through is people ask me all the time, is this smiley face killer? I believe it. They tell me they believe it is. Well, I have to tell people all the time, this is a copycat. And humans like to copy other humans that they feel like are successful, right? How do you become successful? You watch somebody else that's successful, right? They're a mentor. You learn from them. So the thing when you get into like serial killers, they do watch other serial killers and that's what they learn from. And so- Did they ever catch the original smiley face killer? You know, I think they have. Um, it's been so long since I looked at that case. But they think it's more than one person that was the smiley face killer. You know, or he so, has to be 80 by now, maybe. Yeah, or 100. Yeah, yeah, or 100 or something. Yes, thank you. you. Know. So again, you know, I'm not relating this to a smiley face killer. And we'll talk about that yeah. in the upcoming podcast. But I think it's a copycat. So um, was that smiley face there before Joey was murdered or did it show up after he was? It was reported after, so we don't know how long it was there. Um, and it wasn't in the overpass under the bridge where Joey's body was put into the river. It wasn't there. Okay. Um, Do we have any surveillance? I know uh, we saw the surveillance video of him coming out of uh, Union Cafe, but was there any pick, was he picked up on any other surveillance cameras anywhere? Nope. Nope. None. He vanished. She just disappeared. That's just, uh, it is like poof. And, you know, the, town, the, the township came out looking for him. Bravo organized some events to help find him. And, you know, he couldn't be found. So the thing is, is that he wasn't in the river that long because if he was in the river three weeks ago. Along the river is a um, jogging bike path. Mm -hmm. where he was put into the river, right? So, you know, give you a setup of the, of the river. Um, so the river was at a place that um, was a semi-major street, and I can't tell you north, south, east, or west. And then it had a, um, an overpass going from this side of the road to this side over the river. So when I got to the river, there was um, like um, 
like a road type, a road that went from the main road down to the riverbank because they were doing some work. Now, um, on that particular underpass, there's no smiley face, but when you look across the river, there's a concrete bike jogging path that rides right along the river. And on the other side of the bike path, jogging path, there's beautiful trees. And that's what the person I spoke with knelt. Mm. Nailed it. So, so they had been to that spot. Right. So it's about an, a mile up the road from where Joey was found. So um, a mile or three miles. I don't know. But the thing is, is that, you know, if Joey was floating in the river, I have to believe somebody would have saw him on their bike path or their jog next to the river. So what's next? What do you think is going to happen next on this? How do we uh, proceed from here? So what we're going to do next is we're going to talk to his aunts and his mom, and we're going to talk about um, a petition we have to get it transferred from the Columbus Police Department to the Ohio Bureau of Investigations. We're going to talk why we want to do that. And, um, and besides that, we're going to talk about how these other cases could tie into Joey's. Yeah, I look forward to seeing how some of those, I know that you've sent me some of those as well. So, you know, it's interesting how there could be a tie-in with some of the other things versus, you know, tying them in with Joey. So, you know, you just don't think about those things when things happen, um, you know, so I will definitely look at those. What other cities were those in? So we're going to look at um, three other guys that are um, similar in looks to Joey, similar age, similar situations, all found in rivers. And we're going to look at a couple guys out of Pittsburgh, and then we're going to look at a guy that came out of Denver. Now, what's interesting about the Denver case is that, um, you know, you're familiar with the Adam Gilbertson in Denver, and Adam left a bar on a street called Broadway. His apartment was to the east. He supposedly walked west down uh, Broadway, Alameda, walked over the river to go down the path, and um, supposedly fell in the river. Now what's interesting about Adam's case is that I didn't speak to my suspect for about nine months and I know the police won't speak to him. So is there a connection because Adam was also gay, leaving a gay bar after midnight, showing up in the river. So did this suspect of mine bring the case to get my attention in Denver where I lived at the time? Wow. So does that mean the suspect is probably gay or closet gay? Or? Well, uh, yeah, yeah. I have to put him as gay, um, which we'll talk more about. But so again, that's where we're at with this. And our goal is to get it transferred, which we'll talk about next week on our podcast and see what we can do to help this. Because we are talking about Pittsburgh and Colorado, it goes across state lines, which makes it more of an FBI case. So before we wrap up here, Let's let me tell the listeners um, and viewers how how it works. So we have your police department, your sheriff's department, which is local. And so what happens is that if they um, when they get a case, they can refer if they want to. They don't have to um, to the Bureau of Investigation, which is now the state. A lot of these police departments won't refer it because then they look like they um, can't do their jobs to the community. Let's face it, detectives have egos. Police officers have big, huge egos, most of them, right? 
So then what happens is that the State Bureau of Investigations can refer it to the FBI. So as lay people, I can't go to the Bureau of Investigations and say, I want you to look at this case because it has to be referred from the police department. So here's a police department that won't release the case to the state. So what we have to do in that case is we have to get the community back involved. We have to get a petition signed. We've got to get the media back involved to put pressure on them to look into these cases. And when the state looks at it, then we also have to get the state convinced that it needs to go to the FBI because we are across state lines. Wow, there's, there's so many different layers in order to, to get to it. It's no wonder that things get hung up some, sometimes in, in getting solved. So hopefully even some of our listeners, uh, you know, people that um, love true crime shows will, you know, maybe be able to give us some clues. Absolutely. If anybody has clues on Joey's, there's several things. They can, also, they can email me, um, which is coldcases at tlgriffinllc.com. So coldcases at tlgriffinllc.com. Or they can send a message through Joey's Facebook page, which is just Justice for Joey. And that's his Facebook page. Um, so if our listeners, viewers want to know more about Joey, go check the Facebook page out, Justice for Joey. Um, or you can Google his name and read all about it. So Joey's case isn't done, um, as you know, and so we'll continue to work on it. Next week, we'll talk about our uh, Joey again, and we'll go into the other boys and see if we can't make a connection to a serial killer case and see what our next steps are. And if they have any ideas on some future ones for our podcast, they can let you know that too as well, because I know you get uh, information all the time about crimes that have been committed that are not solved. So um, we can keep on going forever with our true crime psychic. Absolutely. And that's what so, we're going to talk about real crime and uh, we'll get right into it. And people can also email us or Facebook us, you and I, through true crime psychics, true crime psychic on Facebook. It's called true crime psychic, no S. And they can also message us there if they want more information or they want to refer a case to us. Um, you know, we have lots of cases we can bring up and we'll really get into the true crime. Well, I've, I've enjoyed so much just uh, hearing your process of how you go through, you know, with your picture of places and things and, and hearing the background on Joey and then next week getting in has, you know, next week has people join us on True Crime Psychic and we dive deeper into the case and speaking with some of Joey's family members and continuing in with the case of him and, and also asking more questions and questions about, you know, is this part of a bigger thing, the serial killers? So I, I just love it. I, I can't wait again, um, you know, to try to be a part of the solution in this uh, to all these uh, horrific things that have happened. And I thank you for your talent and your time too, Troy. Thanks. And, and next week, I may be coming out with an announcement on a new case we'll be working on. Oh, wow. We'll see if I have the information to release. If I'm, I'm looking to see if I want to work on the case or not, and I'll know that next week, so we will let um, everybody know. But until next week, thank you for uh, your questions and the podcast, and let's continue our journey. Let's talk true crime. Let's do it. I'm intrigued. All right. Sounds good. Until next time, have a great night, and we'll see you next week. We'll see you. Bye. Take care.